The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Diego ready to go with the first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive, hit well in the air towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing Rays. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our show. We'll hear today from Jeffrey Springs about his emergence in the race bullpen. Dave and Andy will be along to discuss the week gone by. We'll chat with pitching prospect Drew Strotman, plus pitching coach Kyle Snyder will be on the show, as will Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and our featured guest this week obviously is off to a very good start with the race out of the bullpen in his first year in the race organization. That's Jeffrey Springs. Jeffrey, thanks very much for joining us, and tell me what the experience with the race so far has meant to you. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Obviously, being traded over, you know, pretty much the day camp was starting, pitchers and catchers were reporting. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, obviously, the Rays have a great history. You know, I've, I've been winning a lot of games lately, really known for the pitching. So I was excited, you know, from day one to kind of dive in and, you know, see what it was all about and, you know, hopefully be able to have some of the success that, you know, so many other pitchers have had here. So far, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for, for anything better from Snides to Stan to Jay Money, the analytic guys to Cash to to the group of guys in the locker room. I mean, it's it's been an unbelievable experience so far and uh, couldn't be happier to be here. Obviously, I don't want you to take shots at other organizations. This is your third stop. But what's different here that has allowed you to feel more comfortable than maybe you have in previous years? Yeah, no, I mean, the other two organizations I played for have been great, you know, nothing against them at all. And I mean, I think a lot of it was just me learning kind of, unfortunately, the hard way last year, some things that I needed to tinker a little bit anyways, coming in, put a lot of work in this offseason on, you know, really trying to fine tune pitches and stuff like that, the, especially the slider. But I think just the the way that they explain the messaging like you know the way that they you know are able to say it to bring it across to the players I think for me it really resonated just from you know Snides to to Jay Money to like I said the other analytic guys they pretty much put the data in front of you and you know obviously the numbers don't lie it's this is they're like hey this is your stuff this is what it does this is why it's good you know and if we can you know for me it was if we can tinker the change up a little bit and get it to do this you know we think it is just going to help everything play up yeah i think it's just the the way that sides especially and you know stan they're all they're all preaching the same message you know just how important strike one is you know showing the numbers and i mean you know when you're constantly hearing the same thing over and over again you know it kind of whether it's the batting average against an OO counts or it's talking about your stuff specifically, you know, for me, it was, okay, you know, that, that starts to build even more confidence. It's like, you know, okay, they truly believe in it. They're constantly preaching this and, you know, kind of helped me just really believe in my stuff even more. Obviously, you know, I, you know, I think I'm good, you know, I'm obviously in the big leagues. So, but I was able to take it kind of to another level, you know, just talking to them and interacting with them and, you know, showing the data and everything. So would you say more of the change is mental or physical than with you from a year ago and with all the information you now have? Honestly, it's a tough question. Um, worked real hard this offseason. Um, 
getting down using my body more efficiently I uh, made some changes there uh, which I think kind of transitioned a little bit to the mound and my delivery from a set position uh, there's some things that I kind of got into bad habits I uh, won't go too much into that but uh, was able to just be more efficient uh, I think getting down the mound from the leg lift and everything I think that's helped a little bit I think just continuing to work on the slider was something you know that's relatively new i didn't have that early on in 2018 or even the start of 19 to be honest so just you know really working hard on that but then yeah i mean a lot of it is you know mental this is a mental game but i think just really understanding how my stuff plays you know how to use it you know and just trusting all three that they you know all three pitches definitely play you know and not shying away from it you know here it is i'm gonna throw it over the plate and you know i'm gonna make a pitch and you know whatever happens happens so to speak so i think you know both to be honest, to answer your question, the mental side's extremely important, but also just, you know, understanding how good my stuff is and how it plays, basically. There's got to be a comfort level, too, in terms of knowing some guys before you came here. What has Pete Fairbanks meant to you? I know you guys have a pretty good rapport. Pete's a good friend that I met early on in 15, and, uh, you know, we've kind of been friends ever since. So coming over here and, you know, talking to him and just even before I came over here, just how much, you know, he loved the the whole organization from the pitching side to the, the team to the front office, just everybody really got me excited. And then just, you know, obviously playing with him again, it's kind of like, you know, back in the minor leagues, it's, uh, you know, just the, the same old thing and not a whole lot has changed between me and him, you know, still good friends. Uh, so it's definitely pretty cool to have somebody like that over here. I would assume along with Oliver Drake, when he's healthy, they're the two most talkative guys in that bullpen. Do you compete at all, or what's your role in the in the bullpen chatter? I try not to be the the talkative one. Obviously, you know we sit down there a lot, and uh, there's a there's some downtime. So yeah, we definitely talk. I um uh, I've only had the pleasure of meeting Oliver a couple times in the locker room, but I have heard that yeah there might be a run for the money between him and Pete. Maybe I, again I'm you know I'm an outsider. I don't know him that well yet, but uh no, it's, it's pretty you know. Pete talks some, but nothing, nothing crazy, nothing too, too much. Who's the sneaky talkative one in that bullpen that we don't hear about? I think if you get Kittredge one-on-one, we can, we've sat down there and talked for several innings before. I don't know. Everybody, you know, is, nobody's really over the top with it. So I don't know. That's a tough one. I would probably say, like I said, if you can get Kittredge going like one-on-one for a few innings, it will, we can, we can talk and look up and it's like, uh-oh, it's the fourth inning. <laughs> Definitely can see that. Hey, you, before all this, the the opportunity with the Rays, you know, you had been up and down a lot. What has it meant, you know, just to, to be in the big leagues based on your whole background and your story, you were what a thousand dollar bonus guy, a 30th round draft pick. What has it meant to you and, and your wife? You know, coming out of college, I thought I had a decent chance my junior year. You know, obviously didn't really know a lot about the draft, how it worked. Didn't work out. Went back for my senior year. And honestly, was just hoping for a chance. I felt like I could pitch. I felt like I was pretty smart in the sense of learning, you know, what I needed to do, how to change, you know, understanding kind of myself was really honestly just, you know, really hoping for a chance. Got very lucky with Texas, like you said, in the 30th round. I think it was a blessing in a, you know, in disguise because being that late, it's kind of, show up and pitch or you obviously you realize you have a shorter leash you show up and pitch or it's you don't make it you don't make it so you perform texas gave me an opportunity to move up i was actually very fortunate to move up was drafted in 15 actually moved up for the playoffs that year went back to low a in 16 moved up at the all-star break to high a went back to high a in 17 
pitched all their year there. Um, they wanted me to start, so I was a starter all year. And then in 18, or that all season after 17, made uh, was invited to big league camp, uh, went to the, back to the bullpen in 18, and by July 31st, I was in the big leagues. So to me, yeah, it's um, honestly, I think it's extremely important, you know, kind of where I come from because that I feel like helped me you know, just realizing going in that I have a shorter leash than everybody else that, you know, got to learn, got to adapt, got to perform, you know, right away and kind of show them that, hey, I can play and uh, kind of make a name for myself. So, yeah, I'm actually, you know, very proud of where I come from. You know, me and my wife both, you know, just took it one day at a time and, you know, whatever happened, happened. I knew the only thing I wanted to do was do everything possible that, you know, if I didn't make it or I came up short or, you know, baseball ended that, there was no regrets that, you know, when I walked away, I did everything I could. And that's kind of the same mentality nowadays, even though I'm in the big leagues, it's one day at a time. And because, I mean, it's going to end at some point, unfortunately, I hope it's several years down the road, but just being able to walk away whenever it does end, you know, looking, being able to look myself in the mirror and be like, I'm okay with it. Pretty good outlet to have. And as a guy who, again, signed for just $1,000 coming out of college, you've had to work and people don't understand that the baseball lifestyle is not so glamorous as you're moving up. A lot of odd jobs in the off season. So give us your favorite and least favorite odd job that you work to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't understand that the minor leaguers have to grind a lot harder than most people expect. I think not necessarily, well, probably the worst one I had um, right before I started working at the YMCA, I got a landscaping job for a company in Charlotte and they started early. So we basically, you had to be at the job site when the sun came up because we would start cutting grass. So I would get there a little before six and then we would drive to the the place where we had to cut the grass. Would basically, we'd eat and cut grass uh, from about seven to two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. And <laughs> I did that for about two, three, uh, right at a month. And I remember talking to my agent and he's like, what are you doing? He said, there's no way you can work out and throw and get stuff out of that while you're also doing that. It was too much. And I just, I guess I needed to hear somebody say that. So then that's when I transitioned to the, the YMCA, which the grass was probably the worst, I guess. But the YMCA, I guess, was my favorite because you get to constantly interact with people. I did the front desk thing where, you know, you sign people up for memberships, you check them in or if they have any problems, whatever. So you, you get to interact there. But I also got a free membership out of it. At the time, my well, now my now wife had an apartment like five minutes down the road. So I would go from like eight to two, eight to three. Uh, so I would go to work and then I would come home and eat real quick. And then I would go right back and go work out, throw and stuff right there around three, four o'clock time it was. So I guess that was my favorite. Um, if I had to pick a favorite, I wasn't super fond of it, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, a lot of minor leaguers that you know don't get a big signing bonus or whatever have to kind of do whatever they can just because of, you know, the pay is what it is. And, you know, I was a little bit older, so I was like, you know, I, I got to make some money somehow. You also, and until all this happened, you've been living out of a hotel during the pandemic for close to a year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, when the pandemic hit in Boston and, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty of if they're going to have a season or whatever. And Boston's an extremely expensive place to rent. So basically a lot of us pretty much just stayed in the team hotel. So last season was three and a half, four months in the Commonwealth up in Boston. Yeah. So basically we've been in a hotel I can't even, I've lost track. My wife probably knows a lot better than me, <laughs> but yeah, hotel way longer than I'd like to admit. So uh, favorite, you have a favorite hotel chain or what makes a good hotel? 
for 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 Jeffrey Springs? Is it the coffee? Is it the towels? I think it's the pillows. I think we I actually had a discussion with the, I think the chiropractor the other day. He he travels a lot, and it was the pillows. Even in you know we stay in extremely nice hotels, so very fortunate for that. But sometimes you get pillows that are flat after like thirty minutes of laying on them, and it's like it takes four or five that you got to stack up so like you get some kind of support. So I'm not too picky, but if I had to say, I would probably pick the pillows are a big part. Do you have a hotel chain that's got the best pillows out there or, or what's your or favorite bed? I don't know. I mean, like I said, we, we stay in pretty good ones. Uh, a couple of the Four Seasons we've stayed in have been pretty nice. I know the Four Seasons in Baltimore is a, probably one of the better hotels for sure. Like I said, they're not. there's no bad hotels, but if you could definitely pick out a thing that makes them would probably be the pillows for me. There you go. Give me a, a feel. Next month you get to go to Texas. What's that going to mean to you to go back to your original organization? You know, it'd definitely be special. Obviously, you know, they, they hold a special place in my heart, giving me the opportunity back in 15, forever grateful for that. You know, the guys over there, the front office, uh, pitching coordinator at the time, Danny Clark was super helpful in my, you know, my development, but no, it'll be cool because there's a lot of guys that I came up through the minor leagues with that are, you know, on the team over there having success. So it'll, it'll definitely be pretty cool to go see, you know, them, the new stadium and just kind of what we called home for a little bit. And since you've been reunited here with Pete Fairbanks, do you have one clean Pete Fairbanks story you can tell that people haven't heard? Oh, he put me on the spot right there. I will say the, I don't know what you want to call it, the adrenaline or the, the energy he brings on the mound is uh, something he's done since I've met him. Um, we'll, we'll just, we'll leave it at that story that he, I've seen him almost really blow a gasket. Like I said, you, you see how he gets on the mound, he gets fired up, he gets pumped up and everything. Oh, I'm trying to think of a good story that he won't, he won't be upset about. <laughs> Was the was the eye thing back in the minors too, or like it actually? Well, okay, yeah, it actually was. For instance, we there was a doubleheader in West Virginia, and we've talked about this story because there was a few other instances. One of them I was kind of involved in, but we won't go there. He was throwing game one, I think, or two of the doubleheader, which obviously was only seven innings. He's doing really well. Pete was a starter at the time. Gets into the seventh inning, and I think there's like a little soft liner hit over the third baseman, and Pete thought it should have been caught. We'll leave it at that. The guy, you know, didn't catch it or whatever. So Pete gets pulled like six and two thirds. <laughs> and obviously, you know, if he gets that last out right there, it's a complete game for him. He had one of those crazy eyed moments, I think, and um, he was a little, little fired up about it. Uh, face used to get pretty red, but uh, yeah, the eyes, the eyes have been a thing. That's a thing that since I met him day one in Spokane. <laughs> very fiery guy from day one we'll just we'll just kind of leave it at that well obviously the two of you guys down in that bullpen make a pretty good combination and hopefully many more good moments to come we appreciate some time jeffrey on this week in race baseball yeah absolutely thanks for having me man i appreciate it that's jeffrey springs we'll continue right after this on the race baseball network we continue on this week in race baseball on this may 16th we're just beyond the quarter point of the season and time to take a look at the week gone by and joining us now dave and andy and Morning, fellas. Give us uh, your biggest takeaways as we're just beyond the quarter point of the season. I think at this point, well, for the whole season, I'm pretty excited that the Rays are where they are. I mean, uh, you've talked about it quite a bit, Neil, in the postgame show, and I agree with most of it in that the Rays have played a pretty tough schedule to this point with all their injuries. I'm glad that they are uh, certainly within striking distance. I mean, the whole American League East outside of the Orioles is all right there, and there's plenty of time left. The one part, though, Neil, that I, I always, whenever you say it on the postgame show, I always think, well, and that is looking at this schedule, I don't know that you can guarantee that things are going to definitely be easy against teams like 
Baltimore, Kansas City, Philadelphia. Uh, like I think of the the amount of times that we've gone into series against the Orioles and and thought, well, they stink, we're good, and next thing you know, you come out of there losing <laughs> two or three. They they got swept in Baltimore last year, but I understand where you're coming from, and I do think that they have gone through a difficult part of the schedule. But that's just part and parcel of being in the American League East. By and large, I'm a little relieved that the uh, that the offense is doing what it's done the last couple of days, and I'm still concerned about the bullpen. But Dave, I think you'd agree they've probably outperformed what we thought. Uh, it might be after the first week or so of the season. Well, when you go into a season and you don't have Nick Anderson at your disposal and then you lose Pete Fairbanks for a while as well, uh, you know, you, you really do begin to worry about a bullpen. And for a while there, it wasn't very good. But uh, I think, again, as we said, with some patience and some uh, due diligence and moving guys around, I think it's it's going to be a little thicker once we start to uh, – as the reinforcements start to return, and they have. Pete Fairbanks is back. I think, you know, Neil, the way I look at things is that here we are at 22-19 and 19 and at the quarter pole, and you're thinking, all right, um, where can this team improve? And I think there's a number of areas. They have played tremendous defense outside of maybe the very first road trip of the season where it kind of took them a little while to get their legs underneath them. But the defense has been outstanding. I think the pitching has definitely gotten a little bit better. I think there's still some room for improvement in that regard. But the offense had been uh, the great drag on this team for a while, and yet they were still able to hang around 500. So I, I think that right now the best baseball for this team is still ahead of them. Uh, you know, but uh, again, I don't I don't see any guarantees of that. But I do see that this team has some room for improvement, and we're starting to see a little bit of it again with the run scored here over the weekend and with Jimon Choi back in the lineup today. Yeah, and I wanted to get to that. You get Jimon Choi back in the lineup. You get Francisco Mejia back in the lineup. That certainly adds a bit of contact and certainly adds a lot more depth to the way not only the, the lineup looks, but also what you have coming off the bench on a given day, right? It, it thickens things up a little bit, too. But, you know, I, I think we got to be cautious, too, that Jimon Choi is not necessarily the savior to this offense. I think, again, he does add an element that has been missing, uh, another guy that can um, force the pitcher to work a little bit. But, you know, let's face it, uh, G-Man over the last couple of years has had very, very slow starts to the verge, you know, to the point where there have been times where we brought Nate Lowe up the last couple of years mm-hmm. to kind of push him a little bit and really kind of hope that maybe even Nate Lowe would take the job from him, and it never happens. So I'm hoping that G-Man can, uh, you know, again, monitor that knee issue. He, he still seems to be a little bothered by it. Uh, Kevin Cash even talked about it a little bit today in his Zoom. But, uh, again, we're not asking him to uh, come in and be the savior of this offense, but uh, be a nice addition to it. Maybe coming off the fact that we have scored, what, uh, 24 runs over the last three days. Maybe it's good timing for G-Man to kind of just slide into that lineup and not think that he has to come in and do more than he's capable of. Well, fans love players that show uh, their emotion, that can show their personality a little bit, and and Choi has certainly become one of the favorite players here for the Rays. He reminds me, in a sense, of a Brett Phillips type, a guy that in his role is very valuable to this team, and the personality comes out, so fans love him, but bottom line, he is a, a piece to this team I don't think he's necessarily a centerpiece of this team, but I think he does play an important role. Uh, And and I look forward to the days and maybe have more appreciation for the days when Diaz and Choi are in the lineup together because they do do things that you may not notice uh, in terms of working pitchers over, driving up pitch counts. You notice when Choi wasn't in the lineup against Garrett Cole, and I'm not saying that's the reason that Cole was great the other day, but Jima not only has... really solid numbers against Cole for whatever reason, but he works his at-bat so well, and this was one of the first times this week when Cole was in, but the Rays could not drive up his pitch count. I think part of that was Jimon Choi not being uh, in there. So even when he doesn't get hits, he sees a lot of pitches, he draws his walks. I'm curious uh, how 
Kevin Cash is going to work him in with Diaz, who has been pretty good defensively at first. Could we see some Diaz days back at third base now? Will Brasso's struggles uh, uh, make, maybe make him more of a, uh, a guy that plays more only against left-handers? I think those are some questions moving forward with Gman coming back that will need to be answered. And one guy who's no longer in the rotation, he was officially traded last night to the Dodgers, Yoshi Tsutsugo. What do you guys make of uh, the decision and then uh, obviously a disappointing uh, a disappointing sign, I guess, in, in hindsight? A rare now. miss, right? A, a rare miss for, for the Rays. I mean, it, you, they've gotten some success from players in, uh, in Japan and, and overseas, uh, not the least of which being Akinori Iwamura, who was a big, a big guy that came over. It gives me appreciation for what other players have been able to do coming over from there uh, positionally and been successful. But uh, there's no getting around it. This one was a miss for the Rays. And, and why, no one knows. Uh, whether last year's uh, difficult season had something to do, but he never was able to turn it around. I'm just as curious as what are the Dodgers doing with these two pickups? Uh, you know, Pujols is a guy that uh, I don't understand that pickup at all outside of, all right, he'll get a chance to, to wave goodbye in a Dodger uniform as that kind of thumb in the nose of the Angels. A little bit, but I don't see where he fits in. And and I know the Dodgers uh, have had some injuries, but Yoshi did not show signs at all of being able to hit uh, big league pitching, especially high velocity. That being said, Dave, we think of Pat Burrow looked the same way over his first what season and a quarter or so with the Rays, and they went to San Francisco and. In the NL West, he did have some more success. Yeah, a little more success. There's no doubt about it. And helped them win a World Series that particular year. But, uh, you know, again, I wish Yoshi luck. Uh, never really got to know the guy, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, the, the warning signs were there, though, last year in the original spring training. He uh, did some nice things in the first few days. And then next thing you know, when the velocity started to uptick a little bit, he started having some troubles catching up to that stuff. So, uh, you know, everything that went on last year obviously did not help in his uh, transition from uh, Japan to the United States. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, I think it was the right move by the Rays to cut him loose. And, uh, you know, he really was struggling here. He wasn't going to get the time, especially with Gman getting healthy, was not going to get the time to play and get that swing in order. So I wish him the best of luck out there in Dodgerland. Uh, just hope that he doesn't come back to haunt us if we face <laughs> him again in the World Series. And I will say this, because I said this a lot during spring training, I was surprised at that Yoshi never did turn around. I, I thought after last year... He still, you know, he hit eight home runs for the Rays. He did give some quality at-bats. Uh, but I thought this, from seeing him in spring training, I really thought I saw some things that uh, that showed that he was going to turn it around. And it just never happened. And uh, and I do, like Dave, wish him the best of luck. But, boy, I was flat wrong on that one. And it, you mentioned it's a rare miss. But the Rays uh, have hit on a lot. And, you know, so much has been talked about the young pitchers. And Josh Fleming goes today and Patino and McClanahan. But, Rich Hill, the way he's come on, and Colin McHugh, those guys are really giving the staff a lift, too. Yeah, you know, Ke Kevin Cash, uh, because of the struggles with Hill and Waka for a little while, go back uh, three weeks or so, and he said, we're going to have to start getting creative because some of this stuff wasn't working out. And uh, next thing you know, uh, I don't know if a switch got flipped or whatever, <laughs> but they are now pitching much better, no doubt about it. I mean, McHugh went on the I.L. with the back issue, but I also think it allowed him to maybe strengthen up his arm a little bit, and he's come back with a, a little firmer fastball and a nice tight slider. And then Rich Hill is just doing Rich Hill things uh, by uh, mixing up his pitches, uh, you know, trick a little trickery on the mound, and uh, just getting guys out. That's what he does, and that's what he's been doing here for the last handful of years. So good to see, no doubt about it. You know, and going back to the rare miss, uh, I remember talking to Tom Foley about uh, the situation with the Rays when he was third base coach, and I walked up to him and I said, hey, uh, Foe, 
doing a great job over there. I, I, I can't remember anybody that's been thrown out. And he goes, well, if that's the case, I'm not trying hard enough. And I think, again, either, there's going to be misses. And if you don't have misses, that probably means that you're not trying hard enough to uh, maybe uh, get on that cutting edge. So, hey, you can't be afraid in this business to make mistakes if you're uh, in charge of baseball operations. They're going to happen. Nobody's perfect. And uh, so but the, the biggest thing, though, is that when you make a mistake or if a, a player doesn't work out, you've got to have the, uh, the wherewithal to cut, cut the guy loose. And I think the Rays did that. They weren't just sitting there for pride's sake holding on to him a little bit longer saying, you know, hey, we spent some money on this guy. We think he's going to be better. So, yeah, you know, some nice hits, no doubt about it, with those guys in the, in the pitching staff. Maybe so much so now, too, that we can even kind of start spreading guys out. I know we need to talk about thickness. Uh, you know, we said this during the spring, going back to the original days of uh, spring training, that it's probably going to take somewhere north of 30 pitchers to get this done. And uh, we'll be able to spread some innings out here now because so many guys are starting to throw the ball much better. Yeah, I don't think the creativity is done. I think they're going to have to continue to do that. Uh, and maybe even this week, you look at today. I mean, Josh Fleming is starting to say without an opener, it helps to have the off day. And then it helps to have another off day soon thereafter. You can work and manipulate this rotation the way you want. Let's not forget, too, Tyler Glass now has been uh, allowed to go deeper into games. But at some point, they're going to have to pull back a little bit on him lest the uh, the innings really pile up and then come September and October you want this guy to be really really strong and and that's just one of them I, I think Rich Hill is a fascinating pitcher to watch uh, to see him work backwards the way he does and Kevin Cash has even said to us on the air that he's seeing the impact of Rich Hill and some of the other pitchers as well even the other game just a couple days ago uh, against the Yankees to see what he can do you know you would look at that lineup that he's facing as all those right-hand hitters and think, well, a soft-tossing lefty probably doesn't have much of a chance, but my goodness, did he figure that out during the game? It was very, very impressive to see. And and I think, too, you look at the left-handers that the Rays threw in that series against the Yankees. Fleming did well. Yarbrough did well. Hill did well. I think Hill's influence is pretty important. Good stuff, guys. Thanks for a few minutes and a good call today. Anytime. We, we love helping you out, Neil. Yeah, someone's got to do my job. We'll pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, W237CW Pinellas Park, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and iHeart Radio Station. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball and time to take a look at the Rays minor league system and joining us a guy who's pitched scoreless baseball in his first two AAA starts. He's also on the 40-man roster of the Rays, and that's Drew Stratman. Drew, thanks very much for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me, Neil. So far, what's it meant just to be able to play games in front of fans again after what all of you guys dealt with last year? Oh, I mean, it means the world. You know, my first game back out there this season, I didn't really think I was that nervous. But uh, for anybody that was closely following, I actually threw nine straight balls to start the game, which is not a good feeling. But you could, the nerves were manifesting there, but obviously settled back in and couldn't be happier to be out there. How did you settle down the nerves? Is there anything that either your catcher said, your pitching coach Rick Knapp said, or something that you did that kind of got you back on track? In that sort of situation, you feel like you're, you know, a guy stuck on a desert island out there and you kind of nobody's saving you but yourself. So all you can really do is just keep pitching. And, you know, once you find the zone and get rolling, then it's just like riding a bike. So, I mean, there's nothing that really could have been said as long as I kind of got back in there, which I did. We're all good in the end. And obviously you've put up results, uh, five scoreless innings in each of your first two starts at the AAA level. What's it meant, too, to be pitching in AAA already? Uh, you had not pitched above A ball before dealing with the recovery from Tommy John and and then last year's lost season due to COVID. 
Right. It was a big uh, vote of confidence from the team to be able to stick me in AAA with confidence and allow me to start. Um, couldn't be more appreciative of the opportunity, obviously. Last winter, being out of the 40-man was another big vote of confidence. So I definitely believe that the Rays believe in me, which is a good feeling. Um, glad I can be here. Super, I was super excited to play for the Durham Bulls. You know, being a baseball player, baseball fan, watching Bull Durham all the time growing up was like, I can't wait to play for this team. I was so excited when uh, Dalton Kelly hit a home run and I got to the smoking bowl for the first time. It's a good time. So do you have a favorite line from the movie? or? I mean, there's so many good ones. I uh, was going to wear number 37, which Nuke Lelouch wears in Bull Durham, but for uh, inventory reasons, they didn't have it on hand. So I'm hoping to switch over to that in the coming weeks. It's it's funny. We'll, we'll use a couple of those quotes and just apply them if they're applicable to even our situation. So... Catcher might tell me, you know, don't think it can only hurt the ball club or, you know, hold it like an egg. I was going to ask you if at that first meeting someone came out and talked about candlesticks, you know, after after a couple of walks just to settle you down. I think I was breathing through the wrong eyelid. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned the, the excitement of playing for Durham and Kevin Padlow has been up part of this week and and uh he had said this is the most talented team he's ever been a part of bar none what's your take on that i mean yeah that it, this team's fun to be a part of we got guys that can play phenomenal defense like taylor walls just makes every play including he made at least one for me last night that was just otherworldly you know at third base not in normal position and then we got guys that hit the ball the bar, ballpark we got i think three dudes with three to five home runs already barely a week into the season and then obviously we got a lot of great arms too, as you've seen all through the order. I mean, between starters to relievers, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And when this team's on, I think we're pretty much unbeatable at almost any level. What have you appreciated about your first two outings? Obviously the results have been good. Uh, what have you liked about what you've done? Um, the first one, the results were good, but it was kind of just a, a sloppy day for me, I felt. And then last night was a little bit better, but I felt... I felt I'm making improvements and there's still more room to improve. So it's not necessarily like I just got to go out there and try and maintain. I still have a focus on stuff I want to get better at. And I really like that. I don't, I feel like I'm working pretty well with Rick Knapp, the pitching coach here. I feel like he's teaching me a lot of things early and then bouncing things off guys like Brent Honeywell. He's got a lot of knowledge, obviously too, to share with me. And even last night after the game, we sat in the clubhouse and talked for 15 to 20 minutes about different aspects of pitching, things I could work on. We're both just very improvement mindset based. You, um, when you're added to the 40 man, we talked about the addition of a cutter. How much have you used that pitch and what else have you been using in addition to your fastball? I've used it a pretty fair amount. I've been using, last night I used a lot of fastball cutter early. It didn't really throw too many changeups or cutters. Uh, I mean, too many uh, changeups or curveballs first time through the order. But I like all four of my pitches right now. I think they're all pretty effective in fastball, cutter, changeup, and curveball. And I really just, I like that I can feel like I can use all four of them at almost any time. So working with the catcher, uh, I really like to change up. I wanted to use it more last night. Even got a few strikeouts on the curveball, which in my mind is typically my worst pitch, but it's, it's made improvements, which is good. Does it play better off your fastball, play better off the cutter? How And, and how much info are they giving you at this point about you know your outings? I mean, we get info every day after every outing. We get info on our stuff where we can see how it compares to what we've done in the past. So, I mean, it, they're giving me good information. It's good because we have scouting reports. We know how to 
pitch certain guys a little bit. Obviously, that's going to be more intense at the big league level. It's it's really good and really fun to be part of. I like to pitch to a game plan and kind of have an idea of what I want to do to every hitter. So that's a lot better than sometimes in you know spring training playing in a black backfield. You don't know what to expect, whatever the case may be. Speaking of which, who uh, Joseph Odom, I know, caught your latest start. What's the rapport been like with him as you get to know him a little bit? I mean, great. All the catchers here are great. I love the way they talk. I love the way they handle the pitching staff. You know, even when things aren't going right, it's not, it's never uh, figured out. It, it's a, it's a just adjusting the game plan. Like, and they stay very positive, you know, keep attacking. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. So, I mean, both Odom uh, and Sullivan, who I've thrown to, are great. And I know Julia Roach is a good dude. We, we talked a lot at the big league level about managing workload. And I would imagine there's a lot of that, especially in the minor leagues, too, because you guys didn't pitch last year. They've held you guys, you and, and Joe Ryan, so far to five-inning stints. Is that kind of the plan early on, or they told you much about how they want to limit usage early to make sure they don't, you know, they have innings for you throughout the year? Uh, I mean, yeah, we're not going to go pedal to the metal right out of the chute. I was really pitch efficient. I think I had 15 pitches through two innings last night, and then uh, was a little less efficient in the subsequent three innings. So I think I finished with about the 74 pitches. So maybe if I had been a little more efficient, I could have gone out for the sixth. But also, in a, when you have two seven-inning games after a rain out, you need some relievers that need to pitch. So felt good. I felt like I still had pitches to throw, but obviously I understand that. Whatever the reason might have been, when the manager makes a call, that's what the, that's what the call is. Yeah, I didn't know if they've said, hey, first month nobody's going beyond five or or nobody's, you know, or we're limiting you to set, you know, 75, 80 or have they said any of that or or is there any plan on that end just to make sure they, they manage your workload? Uh, we haven't directly had that conversation, but we I know it's not going to, I'm not going to go from five innings, 75 pitches to eight innings, 100 pitches in the matter of a week. It's going to be a slow process. Even There's a buildup. You know, I know, the Rays highly value bullpen at every level, so those guys need to get their work as well, which is only limited innings, especially when things are going well, outs come pretty quick. So I'm I'm just kind of going with the flow, following the lead of Rick Knapp and Brady Williams and trying to help the team win. And in addition to that, they do have bigger rosters now at the minor league level, so I would imagine that's got to help too in terms of you know keeping uh, an eye on innings for all of you. Oh, yeah. The first series in Memphis, uh, bullpens are out in the outfield. And looking out from the dugout, it looked like we had a football team out there. We had so many relievers. Well, so far, so good for you, Drew. We really appreciate some time in this week in race baseball. Uh, Keep it up, and we will talk with you soon, hopefully. All right. Thanks for having me, Neil. That's Drew Strotman. And coming up, pitching coach Kyle Snyder and Orioles broadcast Jeff Arnold. This is This Week in Race Baseball on the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball and time now to chat uh, pitching and do it with a guy who has uh, obviously done a tremendous job with the race staff, and that is Kyle Snyder, the race pitching coach. Kyle, how challenging has these first quarter of the season been? Well, I, it's brought about different challenges than what we're used to, just, you know, given the uniqueness to the season, um, you know, going through some of the things that we thought, you know, were important, you know, in the buildup of spring training in preparation for a year that we're having to cover an additional thousand innings, you know, but I think all in all, um, you know, I, I, I think that the challenges, you know, are workload related, you know, what do we really, you know, believe most strongly in and, and really the importance of just getting to know a lot of the new guys, um, what they're capable of handling, uh, their bounce back, um, et cetera. But I, I think, I think that's probably been 
something that's been discussed more than, you know, that, you know, typically six weeks into a season, um, just kind of with Stan, myself, Kevin, and, and us as a staff uh, than more than usual. Performance the last several weeks has been really good, especially after, let's say, the last 10 games or so. Have they outperformed what you would have anticipated considering all the injuries you've had to both relievers and starters? No, I, 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 don't, I don't think that they've outperformed it. I mean, I think they've, you know, they've raised their, their, their own level of expectations just kind of given some of the things that we've gone through. No different than what we've, um, you know, we've been faced with or up against in the past. And, and you know, uh, the next guy up just, just comes up. And, you know, and, and obviously we have, we've always had a talented group. We've all, always been chock full with depth. And just a credit to our organization, our front office, scouting department, you know, and just being able to find these these guys that have the talent and, and we do our best to, to, to try to help them understand, you know, why they're good and, and, and how to best put it to work. I think at the start of the season, you talked about openers, perhaps using them maybe 30 times a year. We never talked about tandem starts. How often do you think you will use that this year to manage workload and how helpful can it be? That's a good question, Neil. You know, I, I think it's something that, you know, we've we've explored obviously here of late and, uh, we'll con- you know continue to, to to keep a lot of these different things in mind. You know, I, again coming back to you know just the oddness to the season and and wanting to do uh, everything you can you know in, in your power and be responsible, and mindful about just you know handling you know these arms and I, I, if it's tandeming, if it's opening, if it's you know just trying to slide guys in and out to be able to manage workload um and, and do the best we can with you know how we're rostered uh you know, what we're gonna do uh and I, I think just most recently it's worked out well um you know from a you know production standpoint just trying to you know prevent runs and and continue to strike suppress hard contact act and, and it's given some of these young guys like you know Luis Patino and uh, Shane McClanahan and uh, you know even Josh Fleming you know opportunities to, to to be here to help us out and and at the same time you know uh, probably do what's right in terms of their year-over-year workload concerns would you know would uh, would be taken into account all that considered do you think that at some point you may extend guys like Patino McClanahan further at some point during the year and if so when may that be where they could go from let's say being a three four inning guy to maybe five or six. That's right. I think that's why we're being pretty conservative on the front end, and and keeping that uh, as an option. You know, accounting for it in the early stages of the season. Uh, you know, doing our best to manage that by putting guys together. Maybe even being aggressive strategically, but also you know considering workload, so that you know we get to the second half of the season. Uh, and that isn't something that's at the forefront of our mind because, you know, we've done our best to be responsible with it in the first half of the year. On the flip side of that, you have some veterans that you're trying to manage too. Uh, Colin McHugh comes to mind, Rich Hill, Michael Waka, who's coming back now from injury. How have they held up so far, and how can you use them differently as the season goes on? Again, that's something that you know we're going to do as best the best job we can in terms of just trying to be creative and doing what's best for them, and 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 obviously marrying that with what's best for the team. You know, Michael Walker's is coming off a, a hamstring injury. Uh, you know, you had uh, Colin come back off of you know a short DL stint and, and has looked really good. You know, um, you know, just kind of getting almost a refresh for a guy that didn't pitch at all last year and uh, has come out and opened a couple of games for us and has been really sharp. Uh, I think his versatility is going to come 
at the beginning of games and in multi-inning capacities, you know, out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, Rich, yeah, for the time being, is going to continue to take the ball every five or six days. Uh, he's done a really nice job the last three times out especially. And, uh, you know, and then Waka, you know, depending on, you know, the amount of time he's out with his hamstring, uh, we could be creative in his use as well, you know, as we build him back, you know, um, back up to, you know, the workload that he was at before and, um, and just figure out ways to, you know, to best deploy, you know, the talent that we have um, and understanding that we're staffed a little bit differently than we've been in years past. But, um, you know, definitely taking all that into account and recognizing, you know, that, uh, you know, how talented we really are. You take a look at this staff and you have four guys who provide length to our lefties, whether it's Rich Hill, Shane McClanahan, Josh Fleming or Ryan Yarbrough. Because you have so many lineups in this division that are heavily right-handed, how valuable is it to have guys in front of them who can at least go a couple innings or once through the order that are right-handed to complement that? Well, I think it's valuable from a strategic standpoint in multiple ways. You know, it, it makes decisions potentially happen, you know, earlier on the other side. Um, it, you know, and again, it, it, it deploys that contrast that, you know, uh, we feel like benefits us um, from, you know, the, the standpoint of prevention. And we can, we can counter you know, I, I do think that there, there, there is a contrast uh, benefit to it. And, you know, we obviously believe in, believe heavily in, in, in the platoon and trying to take advantage of that as often as we can. But um, it, it's definitely a benefit. Um, but we also trust those lefties against right-handers, you know, just as well. Uh, and, and just their talent, you know, and, and a lot of those left-handers um, actually are somewhat neutral as well. You're at a position now where you finally have two of your big three back in the bullpen. How valuable is that, and how much does that help that some other guys have had experience in bumping uh, maybe those guys down a little bit? Oh, I think it, it, it's, it's definitely going to benefit us going forward. You know, to, to be able to bring back Diego, uh, you know, to, you know, obviously the addition of Pete within this last week to see what Kittredge has done, um, you know, and, and the veteran presence that he provides, but just the experience that, you know, guys like Jeff Springs, RT continues to get, you know, I think it's just going to, it's going to continue to push those guys forward and give them more confidence, you know, and, and, and I listen, what they've done, you know, what Stan's done in prepping them uh, over the last six weeks, I, I know, Speaking for both of us, we couldn't be more proud of. I know at the beginning of the year you thought you might have to have seven, eight, maybe more guys throw 100 or more innings. Have you guys managed the innings this first quarter of the season the way you wanted to? I think given some of what we've been faced with, you know, that we didn't, you know, uh, weren't able to forecast, yes. You know, and I think it's going to be broke down in the kind of quarters of a year at this point, and we're just going to have to figure out what that second quarter looks like as it unfolds. And how much conversation goes on between you and, let's say, Rick Knapp down in Durham just to get a feel for not only who can help, but how guys are evolving, developing, and managing innings there, too? Well, I think that communication is extremely important. You know, I touched base with Rick the day before they started up. We actually text earlier today, and we're going to catch up tomorrow over the phone. It has to happen on a weekly basis. And it's certainly something that, you know, just making sure that there's continuity to the messaging uh, as well as just gathering the input of the guys that are down there and continuing to develop. Kyle, thanks very much for a few minutes. Continued success. All right, Neil. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
And that's the Rays pitching coach, Kyle Snyder, who certainly has done a terrific job with the staff. Next up for the race after today, the Baltimore Orioles beginning Tuesday. Tampa Bay's yet to play the O's this year. And joining us now, Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold. Jeff, as we're now a quarter of the way through the season, what stood out to you about Baltimore? Well, I would say if you look at some of the expectations at the very beginning of the year, for the most part, the Orioles have performed pretty well. Um, they were a team that Fangraph said had a 0% chance of, of making the playoffs. And as we know, this is a rebuilding team, and we're in year three of this. I think it's a club that its rebuild was stepped back by not having a minor league season last year. And that really hurt the Orioles maybe more than any other club in the major leagues. Uh, but the bullpen has been really good for the Orioles all year long. They've been especially good when the team has been on the road. Um, we are a great club on the road. Don't do so well at home. We've asked Brandon Hyde, and you take a look at the splits between home and road, and they're pretty extreme. He doesn't really have a reason for that. Um, but the biggest issue the Orioles are having right now is just not scoring runs. Now, if you take a look at where we are across Major League Baseball, runs scored, runners in scoring position, OPS with runners in scoring position, we're at the very bottom of the Major Leagues in that category. Um, and we just haven't had a whole lot of consistency. So we play a lot of low-scoring games, and it's very hard to beat a team like the Red Sox or – Yankees or any other club when you're not putting a whole lot of runs on the board um, and that's going to be the biggest key for us is, is hopefully getting some more consistent offensive productivity and then the other thing too we just need to get more length out of our starting pitchers because as I said the bullpen has been good but they've also been worked a lot and if, if it gets to be that too much then some of that productivity coming out of the bullpen may not be there. One pleasant surprise, though, has been Trey Mancini. I mean, how encouraging has it been to see him perform and really one of the comeback stories in the sport? Yeah, it's been great. And I looked at Trey at the very beginning of the year, and he was just pressing so much. And he wanted to get back to his 2019 form in April, and they had to consistently remind him, and I think they still do, that you're not going to be in your most valuable Oriole form when you miss an entire season. And he performed well in spring training, but as you and I have talked about before, Neil, um, they're not sequencing you the same way in spring. It's pitchers working on different things. So the spring numbers were good, but I think you could expect maybe there was going to be some kind of drop off when you're going in scouting reports, you have a set plan of attack and very beginning of the year, Trey was chasing a lot. And now he's gotten into a point where he's not chasing as much. He's staying on his backside better. He was lunging out in front of a lot of pitches at the very beginning of the year. So he made some adjustments with Don Long, our hitting coach from a mentality standpoint, he's in a better spot. So even when he's made outs, they've generally been louder outs, and he's going to the big part of the field. And when you see Mancini doing that, it generally means he's been in a good spot. But offensively, I think he's done really well. It's been great to see. Um, I think he's going to only continue to get better as the year goes along. And the other thing that's been great is he's been in the lineup pretty much every single day, which is what he wanted to do and what he's been able to do. John Means, obviously, the other national headline story with the no-hitter he threw. And I thought for a moment the Rays were not going to see him this week. But now because of workload management, they are. Yeah, they decided to push him back for a couple of days. He threw 113 pitches in the no-hitter, which was the most that he'd ever thrown in a game. And even though I think he threw 74 in his last outing against the Mets, they want to be really careful with John. He's thrown 15 innings without allowing a run coming into his next start. And so I, I feel like they're just trying to get him extra days. And that's what they said before. If there's any chance to get him an extra day, two extra days or whatever, they're going to do it. The outing that he had against the Mets, he actually had an extra day of rest. So I'm not surprised that they're handling it this way. They just want to be really careful with John Means because in addition to being one of the best starting pitchers in baseball at the beginning of the year, he's one of really only two who's consistently been able to pitch into the sixth inning or later. And from that standpoint, 
the bullpen has pitched fairly well for the Orioles. How sustainable is that over the long haul if they don't start to get some more length? Yeah, I don't know, Neil. It's a great question. I, I feel like they're going to start to suffer a little bit if they can't get some more help from the back end of the starting rotation. I think one of the more encouraging things over the last week has been seeing Dean Kramer pitch into the sixth inning, two out of three starts, and then Jorge Lopez being able to pitch into the sixth inning in his last outing against the Boston Red Sox, because that's where really we run into some problems. We have a very young starting rotation, and while Means has been good, Matt Harvey, I'd say, has been better than expected based on what I saw from him in spring training. And then we've got two other guys. And then I think it's been, it's been good that you're seeing some production out of those first two, but you need to get some production out of your back end of the, bull, the rotation. So that way that you don't find your bullpen um, just having to cover five innings a night, six innings a night. Um, but, you know, if you take a look at, like, the number of appearances that Tanner Scott and um, Paul Fry have made, they're on pace to be over 70 appearances, which is definitely not sustainable. So uh, especially with high leverage guys and their effectiveness, uh, we want to make sure that hopefully they're getting a little bit of a break and that you're not having to cover a, a massive amount of innings every night. Jeff, good stuff. We look forward to seeing uh, your club for the first time this week. And thanks for a few minutes on this week in race baseball. Neil, absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. And that's Jeff Arnold of the Baltimore Orioles Radio Network. We certainly thank Jeff and all of our guests on the program today, including pitcher Jeffrey Springs, as well as Dave and Andy. They've got the call coming up. Uh, Prospect Drew Strotman and also the pitching coach of the Rays and Kyle Snyder. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me. At Neil Solons. Hey, the Race Rookies Kids Club presented by Outback Steakhouse is back with swagger. Kids receive a duffel bag, American League Championship socks, and access to exclusive digital experiences with Rays players and staff. Memberships are limited. Join today at RaysBaseball.com slash Rays Rookies and race up. Next week, we hope to sit down with left-handed pitcher Rich Hill. That and a whole lot more. Special thanks to my producer today, Derek DuBose. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. It's the Rays and Mets as the Rays seek a sweep on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted in the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.